Welcome, good afternoon, good evening. Thank you for being with us uh, for the Daily Objective. Jonathan Honig, your guest host today with a, a great guest and a great topic. We're delighted you've chosen to spend just a few moments of your day with us. James Valiant is with us on kind of a historic day, but a, a dark day as well, as the US Congress uh, debates uh, impeaching once again, President Trump, this time for some of those events that have taken place in the last couple of days, which kind of culminated with a literally a storming of the Capitol and several lives lost uh, in the process. So James, thank you so much for, for being with us to begin with. You're, you're such an expert on so many opinions. And I guess off the top, I'd say certainly Ayn Rand probably could have never imagined uh, the scene that she saw play out on, on Capitol Hill last week. No, she would surely have been horrified. She would surely have been horrified. She uh, understood that force was never the way to solve a problem, even if there was a valid problem, you don't you don't take to the streets and and my gosh, the attack on the Capitol and I mean I do regard it as desecration, but more than that, look at the people who died. No, it was outrageous. It was I, I'm not sure if it was actually an insurrection, <laughs> or even or even amounted to an almost insurrection, but it was an act of insurrection. An act there's of insurrection. A, there's a photo, maybe you can, I've just come into my memory now of Ayn Rand, uh, maybe in the Oval Office with Alan Greenspan and Gerald Ford. Uh, yes. So Ayn Rand herself had kind of been in, you know, twice. in this milieu before. In the mid 1970s, she was twice invited to Gerald Ford's White House. Um, she was uh, a guest, uh, an invited guest, uh, when Alan Greenspan was sworn in as uh, Gerald Ford's chief economic advisor, and then on another occasion. Uh, so, uh, yeah, she uh, was friendly with Martin Anderson, who was an important advisor to both Nixon and Reagan, uh, as well as Alan Greenspan. So, yeah, <laughs> very much so. And she, so, as we could, earlier we had that discussion about her comments uh, at the West Point uh, 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 Military Academy to the graduating class. Ayn Rand can only be uh, regarded as someone who revered America's uh, founding ideas and, and institutions. And she would have, yeah. that would have been, uh, you know, with the earlier impeachment, I was opposed. I opposed Donald Trump. I opposed Donald Trump on principle. I have never voted for Donald Trump. Uh, I, I thought he was taking the GOP in a deadly direction. I thought I am distressed at his, at his authoritarian language. The Constitution calls for a high crime or misdemeanor. And the basis on which they had uh, tried to impeach him before was just factually insufficient in my mind. In fact, I think Congress wasted their time in what they were investigating about Trump. I think there were all kinds of other more productive areas where they could have investigated Trump. But the basis of their previous impeachment uh, about a year ago was just so thin that I thought it was bad for uh, our for America institutionally to do an impeachment on that kind of a basis. This time, I'm not so sure. This time, I, while I do not believe, as a former prosecutor, I'm well aware of the elements of the crime of inciting a riot or incitement to violence, solicitation to violence. Those are all crimes. However, all those crimes, of course, are regulated, governed by the Supreme Court's opinion on free speech, because all of them, in a sense, uh, allow for the prosecution in effect of communication as part of what you're doing. Now, when does a communication become criminal, an incitement to riot? I do not think 
as a my my uh, trained legal opinion tells me that you could not convict Donald Trump of the crime of inciting a riot. He did not do those things. It's a very demanding standard. I actually have to, in effect, say <laughs> this is Jonathan, what we're debating. Right, this Jonathan, is what we're debating. I know that's crazy. Could we make the case? Right now, what a high crime or misdemeanor is is not the same thing as the technical crime, statutory crime of inciting a riot. Right. I don't think you need to be able to convict someone of a specific crime on the books to be able to convict someone uh, in an impeachment trial. Uh, two different standards, right? And there, I think, and everything in my heart and mind and soul are screaming out to me that this merits impeachment. That is to say, uh, what he did crossed the line. In my view, Donald Trump should have, even if he didn't concede, even if he was, still had court issues, even if he says this is something that still needs looking into, in mid-December, when the Electoral College voted, he should have conceded the succession. In failing to do that, he violated one of the most sacred traditions in American history of the peaceful transition of power. You know, there are Republicans who say, well, didn't Obama violate that by having Trump spied on when Trump was coming in? I guess you could say that, but not in the same way at all. This was an overt act of violence. And yeah, have we been getting there incrementally with the demonization of, of you know, <laughs> you had Joe Biden calling for unity the other day and then calling Senator Cruz literally a Nazi. So, you know, all that unity talk that Biden has is a bunch of BS. But the, that's all that is really beside the point. What Trump did merits impeachment. There are good authorities like Professor Jonathan Turley who are repeating his criticism that I shared of the first impeachment. We don't want to snap impeachment. This sets a bad precedent, Professor Turley argues, because it's not being properly investigated or debated. Well, I think that the cows escaped in the barn door. Uh, oh, it, we, he's just asking us to close the barn door at this point, because I think the previous impeachment already crossed that line. I would also go further. I think there are contexts in which maybe a snap impeachment is appropriate. What if the president actually was seen murdering someone or something, you know, on national television? I, I, look, if we all saw him commit murder, tomorrow I think the House should go forward and just impeach the guy just as quickly as possible. So I think there is a context for snap impeachment. I think we do have enough information here. And I think that we've already crossed the line <laughs> with the previous impeachment about setting precedents about snap impeachments. Well, I so, want to... And, and if that please, makes sense. Jim, Jim, I'm so sorry. Continue. Finish, please. No, no. No, no. I, I just... Oh. No, I think I'm it's, done. It's really yeah. <laughs> I, I, Among Jim, and I forgive me, among uh, James Valiant's many accomplishments, I forget that you are a trained lawyer and and, and Jim has a number of books out, Creating Christ, I believe is the most recent work. Uh, Passion of Ayn Rand's Critics has become a seminal work in the objectivist literature. So definitely check that out as well. And you're also a lawyer, you're a podcaster, so you wear a lot of different hats and you add so much to our broadcast and our presentation Thank here you. as well. So I, I appreciate that. So, um, and we wanna also invite your perspective vis-a-vis -vis our super chat. It helps our, as they say, Lord Savior, Razi, keep the lights on in the Ayn Rand Center UK trying to spread Ayn Rand's perspective, not our perspective, but Ayn Rand's perspective, the works of Ayn Rand and Dr. Leonard Peikoff all around Europe, certainly within the UK, where they're really starting to, to gain an exciting foothold. And we hope that you know sharing some of our perspective on political events here in the United States uh, can help stimulate the discussion. And we invite the super chats, as always, we will read 
any super chat amount, even down to one pound, which I don't know what that is in, you know, real dollars, no offense to you Brits, uh, one, two pounds, toss it our way and we'll read it on our, our air here and get your voice heard. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll share my perspective uh, quickly, Jim, as well, as someone who has visited the Capitol within the last 10 years, um, I was able to get a tour, I think about eight, eight or nine years ago, I believe I had the photos, maybe I'll share them on Twitter, but it felt, and I'm certainly not a religious person at all. I, I abhor mysticism at all. But it felt to me really like a religious place. It felt, um, it felt uniquely holy to be in the Capitol, even to be in the halls of the Capitol, to be wandering around and seeing the names of these different elected officials whose names I knew and, and names I understood. It, it felt like a really unbelievably holy place. And I, I was thinking back as I was watching this week, Palau, to the words not of President Trump, but a favorite uh, saying of a previous president, and I'll share my screen to do that, is uh, President Truman. Now, I'm not a big fan of President Truman, or I don't know much about him, but you know, he had that famous saying that, you know, the buck stops here. And I always associated that with a real um, acceptance of reality. A is A, if you will. And, you know, look how far we've come. Now, you know, here's, you know, however many years later, Trump takes no responsibility for riot visits Texas. Um, and in just kind of trying to analyze all of this, and I always, we always encourage our viewers to go back to Dr. Peikoff and Ayn Rand's works and, and uh, literature, or at least helps me analyze a lot of political events. I think about Dr. Peikoff's comments on, on the sanction of the victim. And now the sanction of the victim is the willingness of the good to suffer at the hands of the evil, to accept the role of a sacrificial victim for the sin of creating values. And that's what I see here is the importance, for me at least, this is my perspective here, not Ayn Rand, not Dr. Peikoff, but of speaking up loudly against what I saw as complete evil, Jim. I, I, I saw this unfold the whole day. I've multiple mon trading monitors here set up. So I had all the different perspectives, all the live feeds. Uh, I believe this was, in my perspective, 100% created by and fomented by the president. I watched all the statements before that, the public reporting on him. Uh, why were these people there in the first place? What was the reason they were even there? Uh, was because of, a, of, of the president. He was the whole reason this whole thing existed. And this is going to sound a little hyperbolic, um, but I would say, you know, Osama bin Laden didn't do 9-11. He uh, helped inspired it. You know, Jim Jones didn't make, he didn't pour the Kool-Aid down everyone's throat, but he was the reason that they did it. And just the idea, very least, Jim, and I don't know, again, you're the prosecutor, but if you had a school assembly of 500 kids, and you said to those 500 kids, we're going to march down to the lunchroom and I'll get lunch. You'd say, no, 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 wait a minute. You say, first this group, then this group. You know, they would fire you if you just told 500 kids, let's go march down. So, you know, to me, it was a very traumatic day. And in the days that have followed, I found it to be even more traumatic. Again, don't want to be hyperbolic, but really on par with 9-11 and the ways to, to think about it. I know that Dr. Peikoff says that a picture isn't an argument, but um, these were some of the most awful, heartbreaking images in, I can remember in modern uh, uh, American history. And checks and balances are built into our constitution. That's the beauty of it. Uh, so I, you know, I feel like for me, it's important to speak out loudly on how 
absolutely awful and evil, atrocious this was. And the fact that it was created from within, Jim, and probably created by people who would say that they were fighting for capitalism. I mean, that's the real, they would say, my sense yeah. is if you talk to a lot of people, they'd say, we're for capitalism, we're against socialism. So my two cents is I'm for impeachment. Don't sanction this, don't try to rationalize it, don't excuse it. You demand impeachment for the person who created the whole thing. Uh, the whole reason you've got tens of thousands now or thousands of soldiers in D.C. is because of something, not a physical existence, not like the weather. It's something that this president created. So the Constitution was written for a reason. Use it and impeach Donald Trump again. Wow. I think we are in substantial agreement. I really do. I think it was a desecration. I'd remind everyone, yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> I think my credentials on religion are pretty well established. Uh, yeah, uh, Ayn Rand uh, herself made a very good point about how those, uh, some of those religious concepts are still valid and important, but they need to be directed toward the, this worldly object that is appropriate for them. So if we have something, so if we say that we venerate liberty, then we should venerate the institutions of liberty and the symbols of liberty, uh, and they're they are sacred and they're they're worth a feeling of, of veneration. And when they get attacked, it is a desecration, a total desecration. I absolutely agree with you. To even utter a peep of defense or excuse for this is outrageous. It was because of Donald Trump's continued you know, uh, harping on how it was stolen from him, stolen from him. I won in a land. He was saying he won in a landslide. And then he was saying, I'm going to join you guys in the march. Now, oh, yeah. I've heard, I'm going to be right there fighting. With right you. there fighting with you. Right. Exactly. Though no, that is inexcusable in the sense that anyone could have or should have known, right, <clears throat> that it could have resulted. In, because he was telling them that democracy, in effect, is illegitimate that they're powerless. I mean, he went down to Georgia, in effect, depressed. I, I will never, see, I want divided government. We have Biden, I'd prefer a Republican, Cong a Republican Senate. I will never forgive Trump for losing Georgia. It was his fault. Ruby Red District said, I'm not gonna vote, why vote? Voting doesn't matter. And when you get people to the psychology where my vote doesn't matter and there's nothing I can do, they're gonna get violent. The whole purpose of having voting and democracy is that we have a peaceful means of transition to power, a peaceful means of change. And when we give up on democracy like that, as Donald Trump was in effect saying, give up on American democracy, then what are, what are people left to do but be violent? Now, that inference is an inference that I'm not sure could sustain, a, like I say, a criminal conviction for inciting a riot. Um, but it is, in my view, an impeachable offense because it was the kind of thing that transcends what any president should be allowed to do. Yeah, in my view, it crosses the line uh, uh, institutionally. Now, there are conservatives who will say, wait a minute, what about all that violence last year? You know, Nancy Pelosi, when they were tearing down statues of George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, Nancy Pelosi was saying, oh, people are going to do what they're going to do. Literally what she said. But when they attack the Capitol, oh, that's a desecration. So I don't for one minute buy the Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> you know, the, her criticism. She has not a leg to stand on. The Democrats sustained support for violence against federal courthouses, uh, taking over police stations, taking over blocks of cities. The violence that they sanctioned last year was inexcusable. 
However, the violence against the capital is inexcusable, and we right. cannot use that previous violence to justify it. Either violent, either, and that's this is it. Is America really at the point where a revolution or a rebellion is rational or necessary? Ayn Rand had a very clear understanding of when that is. And, you know, there are people because of what's going on with social media who might say we've crossed that line. Ayn Rand, one of her major tests was, is there a censorship? Absent free speech, there really is no uh, effective means for peaceful change. And you've really shut down the entire uh, process of uh, any kind of semi-rational representative democracy. That is one of her bright lines. Now, uh, I don't think we've reached that point. Even with all the stuff on social media, I do not think America basically is, is censorship. Look at the ways in which Trump is still able to get out his message. Look at all the different ways in which conservatives are still able to get out their message. And well, we hear it on Fox News. We hear it on Newsmax. There are Internet sites that are available, even if Google deplatformed, deplatformed some of them. Um, There's still good old fashioned uh, you know, newspapers and stuff. Um, so I do not think we've reached a point where there's actual censorship in America or, or a, a complete breakdown of due process. So we have to set aside violence and we can never make excuses for the kind of civil disruption and, and plague on both of their houses, frankly, plague on both of their houses. The one, however, did not justify the other. And that's the key here. And anyone who suggests that is really making excuses, just making excuses for violence. And, and thank you, Mary Aline, for uh, another various, uh, very generous contribution. Anyone else who wants to get the perspective read on our air, uh, hit us up on Super Chat. You know, uh, Jim, what worries me is um, not the domination, at least, of leftist parties or leftist ideology in America within technology or the schools or anywhere else. That's been present and growing for a long time. What really worries me is the uh, complete disintegration of any legitimate opposition to it. I spoke at one of the first American Tea Parties, which were a series of protests back in 2007, 2008, basically studying around the mortgage crisis, who people who said they didn't wanna pay for their neighbor's bad mortgage. They didn't wanna have their in pocket picked for their, and you know this was a pretty big movement. It got a lot of senators and elected people elected to Congress and this type of violence would have just been complete anathema to anything. And at those speeches, there was a lot of Ayn Rand photographs being held up and Atlas's shrugging was being held up. And what, part of what I think affected me so deeply was knowing how, you know, to quote Ayn Rand here, it's earlier than we think uh, because there is no rational opposition to that extreme left now. It's an, a, a so-called extreme right that is just the same type of collectivist, brute, emotionless rule by force. So, you know, what really worries me is, you know, and I say this as someone who's, we're advocating for the, these ideas is that, my God, Jim, I feel like our ideas have frankly never been so out of style uh, in a yeah. long time. You know, and, Ayn Rand's and, ideas, at least in America now are, there is, un, there is just, you know, they're, they're being shunned by people when they need them the most. And that's heartbreaking. Yes, it's, you know, it's amazing. We've, we've reached a point where more and more Republican politicians uh, uh, will say, oh, I admire Ayn Rand. Even Donald Trump will say, you know, The Fountainhead's my favorite book. And that's disgusting. That's really disgusting. Because when you see the Republicans actually come into office, of course, they have no idea what, 
what they were talking about. They were just citing Ayn Rand because that would get them votes or something, I guess. But you're absolutely yeah. right in terms of actual policy. I mean, I mean Ted, Ted Cruz, you remember, famously held up and quoted a copy of Atlas Shrugged. Right, right. Ron and Johnson. Has there ever Wisconsin? been a more absolute right. disappointment in a politician? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. So we're at a very bleak, bleak point from the, you know, uh, you know, the existential politics of the world perspective as an objectivist. Um, uh, there's no doubt about it. And I put the blame there. I lay the entire blame at the feet of Donald Trump. He has so I mean, the Republican Party has been going <laughs> downhill uh, for a long, long time. Donald Trump is the worst thing to happen to it in my lifetime. He is he is, you know, there was always at least a superficial uh, nod to the ideas of liberty uh, with Republicans before that. But you can see it, well, for example, in his anti-immigration stance, in his anti-free trade stance, principles of freedom and free trade and the ideas that once governed, at least nominally, or at least superficially governed the Republican Party, he just simply tossed aside in a thoroughly pragmatic way. Uh, look at the look at the outrageous spending that he that I mean he's been he was outspending Obama with a Republican Congress even before COVID. The man has no and is zero interest rate stuff. The man had no understanding of the principles of freedom, had no understanding really of the economics of the free market, and was really putting it over in a, a populist, emotionalist, demagogic way. Um, so yeah, Donald Trump yeah. has really, really, uh, I don't know, maybe he's mortally wounded the Republican Party uh, because, you know, he might have had a political future. It is the last 30 days that Donald Trump has really hurt his own political future. And now there are Republicans, people within the party who are now happy to turn on him and sort of purge the, the Trumpists. And I am a big advocate of that. Anything the Republicans can do to purge any Trumpism from the GOP is welcomed by me. And thank you so much to Gabriel Shipley, quoting now. Thank you, gentlemen, for your perspectives on this topic, as well as the others you've shared on this channel. Keep up the great content coming from Ayn Rand Center UK. Thank you for your support, for the kind words, for the encouragement. It's a lot of fuel, I think, for both of us, for, for Jim and I to kind of keep this content going. I mean, you know, as the saying goes, my life, I know, changed when I read Ayn Rand. It really changed for the better. Uh, despite the negative tone of politics these days, I mean, I, my life has been improved so much by, by Ayn Rand's ideas. And, you know, one of those ideas, Jim, is this idea of pragmatism I'll mention, you, you mentioned very briefly, and it's often been used to describe, you know, Donald Trump as pragmatic. And for most people, when they hear pragmatism, they actually think it's a positive. It's somebody who kind of gets something done. And years ago, I read a, an article by Dr. Tara Smith, I believe called The Menace of Pragmatism. And it was the first re way I kind of started to realize pragmatism is something really evil and understand why the absence of principles at all uh, is so destructive, short-term, long-term, all, you know, all, all. and you know, it seems like at least for Trump, you know, this idea of anything goes devoid of any consistent principles, it looks like it's at least in the short-term gonna end his presidency on an unprecedented second impeachment. So yeah. I guess it doesn't work in the long term. No, I systematically uh, replace any valid use that there might be for pragmatism with the word practicality. 
practical or practicality. I systematically replace that to get rid of that word pragmatism from my thinking. Now, most people, when they use it, it's pragmatic. All they mean really is that it's practical. In that sense, I'll let it slide. But if they mean pragmatism, capital P, then of course it's an assault on principles and concepts. Yes, Tara Smith, the menace of pragmatism, brilliant. Leonard Peikoff, why should one act on principle? There's some real, is really good literature uh, uh, you know, among objectivists about why it is that a failure to adhere to principle really is, uh, in effect, engaged in, in a self-inflicted lobotomy, making all of our previous knowledge, all of our concepts really irrelevant to what we do. Um, it is an assault. It is really uh, an assault on any kind of uh, consistency, A as A. It's a basic assault on logic. Do our ideas matter? Right? You know, you could really see the effect about, of, of pragmatism in the callous way most politicians treat the accusation of hypocrisy. There has been so much hypocrisy on both sides on so many issues, and yet it doesn't phase them. It doesn't yeah. phase them. The menace of pragmatism could be seen right there when you look at the face of a, hey, but wait a minute, politician X, didn't y'all say last year that it was just the opposite? Or politician Y on the other party, didn't you all say it was just the opposite last year? And they'll look at you without any <laughs> guilt, frustration, worry, or anxiety on their mind. You're right. That's just the way it is. Okay. Oh, wow. So principles don't matter to you. There is no consistency to your behavior. And that is really terrible because there's really no way to predict a politician to, to if I'm voting for him to even know how he or she will act when I put him in. Well, They're going to go by the seat of their pants and their feelings and the polls. I, and, one, and one thing, too, you know, and, and we're in our, our remaining few moments here. Thank you again for our Super Chat contributors. Please subscribe to us. Share this content. Get involved with the Ayn Rand Center UK. There's all these great discussions about uh, Ayn Rand's works and Dr. Peacock's works and stuff that you'll really value, get you know, a lot of value from. You know, my, my kind of closing two cents for what it's worth, Jim, is there's this obsession now with tribe and tribes. And one of the great things, ironically, I've always felt about the objectivist community is that, you know, one didn't need to be part of a tribe. Um, you know, this is a, a, a body of work and this is a philosophy that really encourages you to think for yourself and to evaluate the facts based on your own perspectives and your own premises. So, um, you know, my two cents is avoid this need to feel like you have to pick sides when these are two sides of the same, in my mind, collectivist coin. Today's Democrats in America, today's Republicans in America. I don't see anyone who's actually fighting for individual rights, fighting for capitalism. If you, I do, aren't in government, they're <laughs> non-for-profits like that, or they're organizations like the Ayn Rand Center UK, like the Prometheus Foundation, like the Ayn Rand Institute, and, and others who are espousing the ideas that are going to, so, so don't feel like you need to take sides in a fight where there are no good guys. Stick to those pr fundamental principles. Um, those are what guides us toward the future. To use another religious concept, amen. <laughs> well, and thank you for all your contributions and all your perspective. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, a lot of people have opinions about objectivism, but you have such great knowledge and, and experience and a, a great body of knowledge. So thank you for sharing it with us here on the Ayn Rand Center UK. Oh, well, thank you. My pleasure. All right. And we thank you for joining us. We will be back here. Same time, same channel, as they say. And uh, please share and like this content. See you next time. And thanks again.